Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight. And joining me as ever from across the pond, he's the statesman to my kingsman, to one and only John Burke from Burke Reviews. How are you, man? I am doing pretty good, Matt. How are you this evening? Very well, actually. Yeah, not bad. Had a decent weekend uh, celebrating VE Day. So uh, a, a social distancing street party where we kind of just shouted oh. at each other from uh, from across the street, which is quite nice and had a beer. Um, a couple of birthdays, kids' birthdays coming up this week, tomorrow and the next day. So um, I've been running around putting decorations up and making sure that uh, I haven't left anything up in the up in the loft. But um, yeah, other than that, mate, I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Uh, today's been fine. Um, and, and honestly, so far, knock on wood, this week has been pretty solid overall. Um, you know, I, I watched a couple of our, our Bantpocalypse movies um, the last two days, which has been fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm really excited about recording the next episode of Bantpocalypse now because uh, we paired, uh, we always pair our recordings. Listeners, this is behind the curtain kind of thing. If you haven't been listening to our bonus miniseries, Bantpocalypse Now, you definitely should. But mm-hmm. um, the next two movies that we're doing are both foreign films, which I did not realize I put them together. Um, and I was like, well, that was cool. That was like a, a weird connect. I mean, they all have the, the apocalypse isolation type connection, but uh, it was weird that I paired the two together. Uh, I kind of cheated. Uh, the reason I shoved the host in here was that I'm doing it for movie club also. So like I got two birds with one. Two and one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it was nice, like knock that off. Um, but you know, uh, I, I feel like I haven't been watching as many movies and partly cause I can't go to the theater and that means there's less new things coming out, which is frustrating because there's so many movies that i was looking forward to this year um and so i've been listening to more podcasts uh i i am a big fan of the blank check podcast um and uh, i've never been a patron of theirs but i i subscribe to their patreon because they've they've covered all of 22 marvel movies they've done commentary for all of those for the patreon people Jeez. and um and several other episodes like uh two years worth of bonus episodes that i just got in- access to um, so I'm working my way through that. I'm already, I just finished the, uh, um, winter soldier episode. So I'm several movies into the, uh, the, the pods. Um, but that's been kind of helping me throughout the day, uh, stay engaged when I'm not watching movies and, um, we don't talk TV much, but I started watching, uh, what we do in the shadows, uh, nice. the TV series, because I love, I love the Taika film. Um, and I've been wanting to watch the series and, uh, big tuna kept pushing me to like, you should definitely watch it. You should definitely watch it. Uh, cause they're like going through season two right now. Um, so I'm like nine episodes in season one. Have you seen any of it? No, I haven't. But I, uh, but I, I'm like you, but but actually nothing like you. And in fact, I don't watch TV series. I never, I never sit down and watch TV series unless it's something which I have been absolutely, definitely recommended. I have to go and see it. Oh. I watched, um, I watched. Uh, I'll keep it clean. Don't f with cats on Netflix the other day because I was told to. Ah, really yeah. enjoyed that. But um, what we do in the shadows is actually absolutely on my list, especially with all the Tycoon news going on recently. But no, man, I'm interested to hear what you think about it. Episode 7, I, I won't say what, but there is <laughs> there is a cool element to Episode 7 that rewards film people, um, like, quite a bit. Uh, specifically, film people for vampire movies. But I won't go any other details than that, but I, I, I recommend at least getting to that episode. Um, it, the one thing that I was told before seeing it, and I will repeat is if you are a fan of the film, know that like the first four or five episodes definitely rehash a lot of stuff from the film, but it does take its own life after that. Um, and uh, even like, there's still going to be like some references to the film, um, but man, uh, the characters really start to develop and it's got, um, 
the guy who plays the uh the second boss in the it crowd um matt barry i think is his name yes yeah matt he's very well he's one of the three uh main vampires and he is so great who i didn't know was in the show which would have got me to watch it much earlier is beanie feldstein is she uh, yeah she's uh, i thought it was gonna be like a one-off cameo and uh, no she has not a she's not a major character but she's definitely a minor recurring character recurring, in season yeah. one um and uh she just had i think episode eight is like a major her episode for her and i i had no clue or i would have been on that show way earlier because i'm a big beanie feldstein uh supporter um and so yeah uh we don't do tv a lot but I, that and the show that i feel i must recommend cautiously because it is not going to be for everybody but if you like rap music if you like raunchy comedy but if you like something that is actually uh there's a meaning and message behind it and it's really well written and crafted check out dave it's another fx series so i'm i'm really repping fx hard which means it's on hulu because all of fx is on hulu now uh dave has 10 episodes season one each episode is better um it's about the rapper little dicky l-i-l dicky um I, I was so blown away by that show, and I just don't feel like enough people are talking about it. So any chance I get, I'm plugging that show. Check out Dave. Uh, I would highly recommend Matt, as long as you can get past, again, some of the – even though it's technically network TV, they definitely push boundaries of what's acceptable on network TV. So uh, I think episode three is very uncomfortable, uh, like sexuality-wise, which I had been warned that. And I still risk starting it at the gym. This is when the gym was still a thing. <laughs> And I had to stop like two minutes in. I was like, nope, nope. People are going to have my shoulder watching that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, Dave, highly recommend. Again, not for everybody, but if you're okay with the raunchy stuff, um, it, it's stupendous. It's absolutely great. If you like, if you're a fan of Little Dicky, you'll love the show uh, for sure. Uh, I am a fan of raunch, if I can say so, uh, in a high pitched English voice. I don't mind it. Um, again, as long as it doesn't turn into to like, the fact when you're like grotesque or like horribly offensive, I, I don't mind it. So Dave, uh, what else? We're going to give a sh- another shout out to Griffin and David from Blank Check for keeping my man JB entertained. And uh, I've been told to get on the train, so I will do. I'll be checking those out um, in this quarantine period. But like JB said, this month was actually going to be packed full of big Hollywood blockbuster films. No disrespect to what we're talking about, absolutely not. But, you know, the list now is very different to how it's going to look. And that's obviously down to the COVID-19 outbreak. Theatres across the world have closed down. So streaming. Streaming has kind of been the go-to thing now. And obviously the Oscars have recognised that for this period of time for next year, if we actually get an Oscars next year. So uh, this is the first month we've ever had where uh, in any generation for... I don't know how many decades where we've had no theatres, none whatsoever. Obviously, health comes first. So we are focusing on films which we've managed to see. So the big films which were going to drop uh, cinematically but have been uh, come out on VOD, obviously some streaming original films, a couple of indies. Uh, and JB's on the fe- been on the festival circuit, haven't you, mate? Yeah, um, Tribeca was uh, really cool. Um, I didn't – you know, South By was also on uh, – they had some stuff on Prime and I didn't watch a single one of the movies that were on Prime because I was just like – not in the mood for uh anything new basically but um tribeca did uh for everyone who was um normally uh, approved for their uh physical festival we had the opportunity to apply for a digital festival it was only like 20 movies i only ended up watching four of them um that really 
but yeah, it was still something cool. It was, it's not as cool as being in New York and getting a delicious slice of pizza or an amazing bagel, but you know, um, uh, it's also not getting coronavirus. So there is that, you know, yeah. so, um, bagel death. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I the bagel. Um, wow. Uh, I just glanced at the RT scores on our spreadsheet and I was totally thrown off by one of them <laughs> being as yeah. high as it is. Um, don't, don't tell the guys we have a spreadsheet. It's yeah, all sorry. off the top of our head. All off the top of our head. Apologize. <laughs> uh, I am yeah. so transparent. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, Tribeca Digital was cool. Um, the movies that I saw were mostly good. So that's a bonus. So I'm, I'm kind of glad I stopped while I was ahead. Because sometimes if you watch too many of the the festival films, you start like just getting drained because they are a lot of times very similar. And, um, and of course, the ones that were willing to let us watch them digitally probably aren't the big ones that were uh, going to be a part of the festival. Like Bad Education, I think, was going to debut at the festival. Um, and uh, it, it, it did not debut because it debuted at um, TIFF. On HBO. Yeah, well, no, but it, was, it did have a festival release before HBO bought it. Gotcha, um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, it was, I think they were going to play it at Tribeca or something. There, there was something with bad education. Um, and I, it was not available to us digitally, uh, though, although it immediately came out on HBO, so it didn't matter, but yeah. So we've got some extra movies to talk about, um, a lot of recommendations. So if you're sitting at home, not sure what to watch, this episode will be very accessible to you because a lot of what we're going to be talking about is only available, uh, on online, mostly, um, for cheap prices uh i haven't checked to see if uh the first movie we're going to talk about has gone down in price recently but mm. it may not have yet because it did so so well at the box office uh you could say that or i could tell you that you're a f- bad liar um yeah most of these are available on on your streamer services so for whatever, you, whatever your subscription cost is that's how much it costs you per month so let's get into it a bloody awesome movie podcast if you are new to the show firstly thank you for listening uh secondly what do we do here as I mentioned, we would usually go through the four, what we deem to be the four big releases of the previous month. We dive into those, uh, give us, we don't, re- we don't go into synopsis or spoilers. We just give our thoughts as our review of the film. And then we speak about, as we just mentioned, like the other films we saw. So uh, everything else that came out in April, this is the April, 2020 episode, the COVID-19 episode is going to be dubbed now. So um, yeah, this, we, we, we basically give our thoughts, no spoilers, and we're going to lead off now, JB, with uh, Trolls World Tour, um, directed by Walt Dorn. Uh, cast, include a, a star-studded cast, let's be real. Um, it, the first Trolls had a pretty star-studded cast. This one upped the game a little. Anna Kendrick returns. Justin Timberlake returns. Rachel Bloom takes the uh, the villainous helm. Um, James Corden r- returns. Uh, but initially pushed to the side a bit, but then does get a little bit to do. Ron Funches... Uh, who's great? Kelly Clarkson. I, I, I'll get to that. Uh, Anderson Pack, Sam Rockwell, George Clinton, Mary J. Blige, sixty nine RT, fifty one Metascore. I did not watch the first Trolls film until like two days before this one came out. Um, I was like, well, if I'm going to watch the sequel, I might as well go ahead and, and invest in the first film. Um, I got to say, I didn't dislike the first film. Um, I found it to be, you know, bubblegum, you know, yeah. something to do entertaining enough Spot but in the end I, I could spit it out and walk away and be fine um someone else might step in it and hate it but you know <laughs> it, it served this purpose for me um so but i was kind of hyped about this one because the the premise um the the first film is very generic and it definitely doesn't know what the troll movie is like it's just like well we're kind of like the smurfs but we're also we have like a, a you know 
Sereno de Bergiac element, and we're also Cinderella. And it's like, okay, what are you? This movie found itself. Trolls are music. Um, and I don't know, like, I guess the logic was we have Timberlake and Kendrick who can both sing. So let's really get hard on the music. Let's make music the centerpiece. And that there's all these different troll tribes that are based on genres of music. And I love that. I'm a big fan of genre as a concept anyways. And then you tie it into uh, music. Um, I love the idea of it, especially because for most of my life, I totally would have been on the villainous side of this film as I was a hundred percent rock is the only type of music. That's any good. Everything else is garbage. Forget pop, forget all this. Um, and so I, I really got into this film. I, I was, I thought the music was pretty good. Um, there's definitely some cool references. I thought, uh, it's a little sad that the villain is the, the rock group. Cause that is, I think a little stereotypical, but it, you know, it pays off in the end. Um, I was a little shocked at some of the casting, like the most obvious George Clinton, perfect casting as the funk trolls. Um, but then how that like diverges into subgenres with hip hop and stuff, I thought was really cool as well. Um, Anderson Pock being a really great part of that scene, but I was surprised that Kelly Clarkson gets cast as the country representative mm-hmm. um, because I've never associated her with country music. Um, you know, yeah, she's right. She's a, she's a pop singer and maybe, if you want to go like, I don't even know what genre you would go to outside of that, but like, cause some of her music is more ballady and not as mainstream pop, but I would definitely not think country. And so I, I don't know if that was the right casting there. I am a big Kelly Clarkson fan um, actually. So uh, I, I was like hyped to see her in there. I I'm a big Sam Rockwell fan. So I, I appreciated him in the movie as well. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun with it. It's not, it's not perfect or anything like that, but it's, it was a solid animated film. Um, good use of music. Uh, and it, it, it did something the first film didn't do. And it was actually build uh, a world for these trolls that were like many movies have been made for children. They're toys first. And then we'll, we'll put story later. Mm-hmm. And as a result, a lot of times the story is not very good. And I think that's what you get with trolls. One is that you just get a hodgepodge of other classic stories meshed together in a kind of insane you know, mosaic that shouldn't work, but somehow does um, well enough. I mean, again, it's not great, but it's watchable. This one, you get a little world building, you get uh, actual like character development. Um, and again, you get like, what are the trolls? And the trolls are about music and each, it, it just, it made perfect sense to me to go that direction. And it felt much more, this feels like it should have been the first film really uh, more. So like, as far as like, the two characters, the main two characters, Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake's characters. Okay. It's a, it's a sequel for them, but as far as like the, the introduction to the, the, the universe of trolls, this movie should have been with the starting point, but they, they righted the ship in my opinion. So, uh, I don't know if I said 69 RT 51 Metascore. Indeed. a little cruel. I think a little cruel guys. This, this movie is, I kind of feel like this movie came out at the right time. Cause it's, it's all about like finding joy and happiness. Um, despite, you know, maybe like, not the best circumstances hey how appropriate because <laughs> needed a little happiness so you know uh i i was up on it what about you i um <laughs> i think that 69 percent is pretty generous to be honest i <laughs> i didn't mind the first one i uh, i i tolerated it uh the mediocrity of it because i took the took the eldest to the cinema to watch it well nice guy i thought it was fine and every, everybody you know the songs were everywhere um it became like a you'd go into somewhere like Primark over here, or I guess somewhere like Target for you guys, 
it's just trolls merchandise everywhere. So I kind of had like a very small bubble um, of impact. And then it went away, and now we're back again. Um, yeah, the story. I, I will. I will concede that the story is better this time in the fact that there is more of a story, you know, throughout. Rather, um, but uh, I, for me, I found that there was plenty of pop songs thrown in. Um, it's not always for for any real reason. I thought, um, and the main crux of the story wasn't really there. Like the whole genre battle, I didn't really find much to take from that. Um, but the first thing I will say again, sorry, is that this is obviously aimed at kids. So uh, the kids are going to love it, and they should love it, and they probably will love it. And that's what it's all about. Uh, so I I kind of took that to mind when I was watching it, thinking, whilst I'm not enjoying this. Uh, you know, should I be? And we have seen many ki- films aimed at younger kids, and we've actually sat and thought this is brilliant. So um, it's not that we, you or I, um, will will base our thoughts on oh, this is just for kids. But I did take it; I did have it in in the back of my mind. Um, I it's a, and also it's the first cinematic release on VOD because of the pandemic, and that's caused that big old rift mm-hmm. between Universal and AMC, Cineworld, and all that. And, well, that's another story of another time. But yeah, it carries a nice message. And the message is nice, you know, accepting differences and people getting along regardless of, you know, whatever they like or their backgrounds or whatever. That's nice for the kids. Visually, the animation is good. It's appealing to look at. I definitely think it is. I think the voice cast are all on top form. Again, like you say, Anna Kendrick, Justin Timberlake and a few others have come back for this. So They've had the first film to uh, to tune the chops, and now they're back again. So I'd expect them to be decent, and they are. But for me, I mean, the whole film is it's so formulaic for me. It was a, uh, I found it quite dazzling in its mediocrity, and I don't mean to sound awful. But I was just like, it's okay, you know, it's fine. But I'm sort of willing the time to hurry up here. James Corden's in it as a chubby troll called Biggie, because of course he is. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I saw Biggie and James Corden, I was like, this is just. Same with same as what destroyed Peter Rabbit for me. Just I can't sound like even though I'd be probably a really nice guy, but his voice winds me out the wrong way as well. Um, oh, so, man. I mean, yeah, I, what you said, I, I like. I like the fact that they had they had that the genre battle was, or the different genres were, kind of a part of the law. Like this is world building, and it's all about the music, and it's what kind of what tribe you belong to, and. Um, how we get, and then obviously you got the yeah Rachel Bloom as Queen Barb, trying to destroy all the other kind of music, so it can just be rock. I can see why they went for rock. It's probably less problematic to go for rock than any other genre um, for a for a kids release. Um, plus the punk rock punk rock aesthetic lends itself to that kind of quote unquote villainous look. So I liked that. I just don't think they dived dived into it dove into it. Sorry, anywhere near what they probably could have done. Um, and it just just plodded along for me. Really, it was just a fine a very very colorful very dazzling sparkling film at the end of it i had to go and have a shower to wash the glitter off me i was covered in this stuff but, um, <laughs> now again it's i i wasn't a massive fan of it had i sat down and watched it with my f- very soon to be four-year-old i think she would have dug it she'd probably have been uh, bopping along and asking questions about why their hair looks like that and why are they pink and having a good time but um i didn't enjoy it as much as the first one i don't think whilst conceding that this one actually had more of a story. So it's that kind of like strange uh, dichotomy there, but hell the kids are going to love it. And that's what it's all about. So for me, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a triumphant return, but it was probably better than I, any, than I thought it was going to be. Cause I thought it was going to be an absolute car crash. Don't ask me why I just, uh, seeing the trailers, 
seeing the marketing, know, yeah. you know, the, it's taken a couple of years for it to come out. It's not the film's fault it got dropped into uh, VOD. How well it would have done in cinemas, you know, you see the projections and probably not very well. According to uh, the VOD suppliers, uh, you know, six, 16 billion people around the world probably watched it. Um, I know Netflix like to play with their figures a bit, but um, yeah, so it's like the first casualty of the coronavirus in terms cinematically, my I add there quickly. Um, so, it's, so it's, if anything, it's got the that infamy attached to it, but uh, it didn't live up to that hype. But uh, I think, yeah, to sound like a broken record, yeah. the kids are going to love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's the best movie of the year by any means, yes, but are. I had a, I had a good time with it, and it was, uh, I, you know. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have seen it if it was in the theater. Uh, That's a good point. Only, yeah. I remember you saying so that, actually. It, uh, off air, you remember yeah. you saying that, yeah. So it worked. I guess it worked out because I, I did. I thought the trailer looked okay. Again, I like the whole genre battle element. Although I, I will concede that it is uh, a minor aspect um, of the overall story. Uh, it, it is. Um, it is like a major part of the lore behind the trolls though, like that they were these different factions and they split because they couldn't agree, which is also pretty appropriate. I mean, again, as I pointed out with, with my history of music, when I was a, a rock fan, hardcore, like rock music, I disliked all other genres and anyone who didn't like the music I liked was stupid. That's you know, right. that was always kind of my, my attitude about it. Um, even more so than I am with movies. Like I, I still like sometimes like, like oh, Avatar is the best. I'm like, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you why. Um, but, good w- yeah, but with music, I am still like, I, I'm, I'm now I'm much more open to all genre, but back in the day, man, I thought you were an idiot if you didn't like the music that I liked. You like uh, music. Oh, they don't play their own, write their own songs. They don't write their own lyrics, blah, blah. Right. Now you think, well, actually there's a hell of a lot of good pop music out there. R and B hip hop, mm-hmm. uh, soul dance funk classical whatever there's a uh, open your re- open your mind and your ears which we've all done as we grow it's just maturity isn't it once you once you mature yeah. and you think actually this is quite good and you're not embarrassed to say I, it anymore yeah there's a lot of good stuff i still don't like a a lot of country music though that's still kind of my thankfully, one area that just does here. not click with me thankfully there was there was uh, a it's... country music festival which was supposed to be in a city called chelmsford about 20 minutes away a nice place um i can't remember who was playing uh, in my head, it was Shania Twain, but they did get they did get a fairly big headliner. I'm not sure if it went ahead because of the um, the pandemic, but uh, I think they're tr- slowly trying to bleed country music into into the United Kingdom. Obviously, there, there is an influence. Everybody knows the staples, and you know there are like country music nights in like certain bars and that, but uh, it certainly isn't anywhere near because it's not ingrained in our culture. It's certainly not anywhere near as big as it is over there. True that, thankfully, especially where I live. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's uh, what's next up on our movie watching journey for the month of April? Uh, next up, sir, is a Netflix original. It's Extraction. It was directed by Sam Hargrave and starred the wonderful-looking Chris Hemsworth, uh, Rudrak Jaiswal, Randy Puder, uh, the wonderful Gold Shifter Farahani, Pankaj Tripathi, and David Harbour. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, very similar to the last film, 68%, and Metacritic, a not entirely awful 56 uh, Extraction. What a cheap-sounding name. Extraction is such a generic-sounding name. I found such a netflix name. Uh, Chris Hendworth is yeah. called Tyler Rake. He's a bit of a miserable sod. He's a, he's a mercenary. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's brooding. You know, what's, what's he got left to lose, you know? And he he's basically goes on a mission to extract someone, uh, the kidnapped son of a drug lord. So uh, Extraction is an action film, and my God, the action is front and centre. Characters were afterthoughts, but... To me, that's the action genre in a microcosm. 
for the most part, isn't it? Not entirely, because there are some great action films out there, which also, I mean, like the first Rambo, great action film, so focused on the character, perfect. That's just, that's even Predator, but um, oh. the original. Uh, great, uh, but a great, a great action film to me gets to the centre of the characters and builds from there. So it starts with the character and builds out. This is uh, extremely violent. There's a big body count in this. So if you love if you love action, you love violence, and you love the bodies hitting the floor, yeah, you're going to drown in this pool, I tell you. The story, for me, I think it worked best when uh, Chris Hemsworth and Jaiswell, who was the teenager at the centre of this, when they're together on on, seat, on screen. And I think uh, Jaiswell actually did a really good job in his role. But uh, to be honest, the violence overtakes everything. The thing that I'll have everyone talking is the... You know, the uh, a quote, 11 minute sequence that's designed to appear as a continuous shot, which involves car chases, foot chases, knife fights, uh, gun fights, little roof jumping. Um, but like the rest of the film, the choreography is, you know, outstandingly good. The fight choreography was fabulous, I thought, really good. And that 11 minute scene, it was very, uh, it was a great scene to just to sit back and just watch and be like, you know, for 11 minutes, I'm going to watch this bloke just kick ass and I'm going to enjoy it. It did feel less raw than uh, John Wick, which is films being compared to by the Russos who produced this film. It didn't ha- quite have that kind of raw, visceral grittiness to the fight scenes. They did seem choreographed a lot at, po- at points, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. I thought the CGI was <laughs> awful in this film. Chris-, Chris Hemsworth is fine as the action star, but in this film, as Tyler Rake, he's got no charisma. We see him in other films, even in something like Men in Black International which was a train wreck, but you could still kind of see Hemsworth's uh, charisma and personality trying to come out from underneath that black suit. In this film, with the character of Tyler, you know, it didn't allow for that. And I think you could have probably replaced Chris Hemsworth with any any number of, you know, decent action stars who can brood a little bit. Uh, Randeep Hooda was good. Golf Shifter Farahani was fine. Go and watch Patterson if you want to see her in a good role. Hey, yeah. yeah, and uh, to be, I've, I've read a lot of White Savior comments about the film. I don't want to touch on that, but I can see where people get that from. But for a Netflix film, I'll end with, I'll shuck over to John, but for a Netflix film, it's pretty decent as a Netflix film. Overall, though, I found it a bit meh. If I took my Cineworld Unlimited card, even though it's free, um, other than my monthly charge, and sat down and watched this, I'll probably think, oh. but because I got to watch it from the comfort of my own home, that somehow seems, sometimes that can take the take the edge off it a bit. So from a extraction, decent Netflix action film with some great set pieces in it, but there's too much sort of middling and too much just misery and violence. And I do enjoy a good ass kicking when I'm, when someone else is getting it on screen, but extraction just didn't do enough to get me excited, but I did, I did appreciate a lot of the choreography. So yeah, not bad, but certainly not great for me. So two out of two in terms of the bamp for me. But what about yourself, JV? I I kind of wonder if this was on the big screen, if I would have been more involved. I definitely checked out many times during this movie because I just wasn't invested uh, in the story. So like, not that it's not really trying to sell you a story. It's, it's selling the set pieces that wants you to, to see the action. And there were definitely moments where I was like drawn in because I was like, Whoa, what? It was like a dude gets hit by a car randomly. I'm like, what? You know, technically a spoiler, not really. Um, but uh, I do want to point out an important detail that I, I did not discover this on my own. It was pointed out in the Slash Filmcast in their review of this. But um, Chris Hemsworth's character's name is Tyler Rake. And he kills a guy with a rake. <sighs> it's not quite Sideshow Bob level, is it? 
Nudity. No, but it is it is that scene made me look away because I I thought it was going to be much more brutal than it actually was. I I was glad, glad they showed a little restraint because there is some excessive violence in this. Um and there's a part where I thought he was going to kill a bunch of kids and I was like is this happening? Um wasn't sure. Uh, like Yeah, like I I mean, uh, you know, uh, again, it's it's an interesting story. It's just not super compelling. It does feel a little long. I, I really think they could have trimmed off probably 20 minutes of this movie because they, they keep going to things. And it's like, yeah, but this is just more of what we already did. Like, why can't we just move forward? Um, I, I I like David Harbour. Uh, I have not liked him in any real films. I like him on Stranger Things. Um, he really wrecked Hellboy. Uh, and um, he's had... I, I didn't get to see Black Widow, so I don't know how he is in that. But... Um, I was a little thrown when he showed up in this movie and even like that whole sequence is weird. Um, not to get into any kind of spoiler territory. I won't say what happens, but I was like, what, what is happening? Why is this even a scene? Um, they pay and again, like, I, yeah, well, probably it's probably something with his Netflix contract. That does seem to be a thing that happens with Netflix TV uh, people that they end up doing movies that they probably wouldn't do normally. But, um, not that Harbor's one to pick or choose mind you, but, uh, I like Hemsworth as a general rule. I, I also felt like he was super vanilla and, and nondescript here. And it's, I don't fault him for that. I just think it's movies not interested in that. It, it isn't worried about, you know, like it tries to establish that he's got some demons and whatever. And like when, he, when a uh, goal Sif first shows up and like talks to him and she like, are you drunk again? Be sober. And it's like, okay, he's an alcoholic. We got it. It's like my nose has been touched so much there. It was so on the nose. Plus, yeah, they give him like a, you know, a haunting backstory to kind of really make you feel something for him. Right. And, uh, the, but this movie's done well, apparently, you know, as you noted, um, Netflix isn't one to give out specifics, but they are, there's talk of a sequel coming out. Um, I think it's which, been greenlit, I think. Yeah, I believe you are right. And, uh, you know, I, I won't get into why that's, uh, suspicious, but it, it is, <laughs> um, it's really weird, uh, that they would go that direction. It's like, I mean, you know, there is a place for action movies like this where it's just, it's here, balls to the wall. We're going to do crazy stuff. Um, and some people are content with that and they'll even argue that we're wrong because it's doing exactly what it wants to do. But what we will counter with is that there are movies that do similar things to this that have much more to offer. Um, I would go just with John Wick as a, a much better example of uh, an action movie that has amazing choreography. But I get who john wick is as a character and what i don't get about him is intrigue and mystery that we are drawn to that we want to know more about him i don't really want to know more about tyler rake i'm just like okay got it okay got it okay got it like wh whatever and um it's not it's not like a big criticism and that is where i if i had been in the theater where i always give 100 percent of my attention or at least 90 percent of my attention to the screen what I, I have a hard time doing that at home. I have an especially hard time doing it right now when I'm anxious and panicky that the world is burning around me, um, you know, that I don't want to be the meme of the dog sitting in the burning building going, it's fine. It's fine now. I don't want to okay. be that. Um, so I definitely wasn't 100% invested in this movie. What I have noticed, though, is that while I may go into a movie wanting to give it my attention, failing to do so, there have been movies that have pulled me in completely despite uh and and in fact there was a couple movies where i started it thinking i wouldn't be into it and just having it on in the background and 
closing my phone or turning my computer off and really getting into the movie extraction didn't do that in fact when it ended i was like crap i don't know if i really watched that or not like i'm not 100 percent sure that i can call that watching it because i am i am so sure i missed a bunch of stuff um i did again certain action scenes pulled me in but there was so much uh fluff for filler content that i was just like oh, okay i'm done like let's let's move this on because it was what it's just so it's like right at two hours i think pretty much it could have been an hour and a half, and I think it would have been a much more watchable movie if it did that. So that's that's my take on Extraction. Yep, uh, same as you. It's, it is what it is, and uh, there are probably people out there who love it, but obviously like Netflix said, you know, 17 billion people tuned in on opening nights to watch this, um, uh, which was a record considering that, you know, almost like 15 billion people tuned in to watch Bright the second it dropped on Netflix. So I have questions about their metrics and how they um, measure them. But yeah, Extraction is getting a sequel. So at some point in the BAMP, we'll be uh, we'll be going back to talk about Tyler Eck again. And I, for one, can wait. So uh, what have we got next, JB? So we went with an indie film for our third film. And that's, that's always a crapshoot. Um, you never know. With with uh, especially an, an indie film like indie is such a obscure term because it could mean just not from one of the major studios but still from like a twenty four which is a pretty big studio to being uh completely independently financed very very low budget um and I'm not sure how we're supposed to say the title of this movie because uh the official spelling does not have the letter I in it it has an asterisk. But I believe Bat Shit Bride is the official title, but they have apparently censored it enough to be okay. Um, it is directed by Jonathan Smith, stars uh, Megan Falcone or Falcone. I'm not sure because I've, I've this is my first encounter with her. Uh, Josh Covet, Johnny Zarsbean. I'm going to say that's right. Here we go. Dude, what the? Come on. They made that name up. Alicia Gigan Christostomitati. That's what you get, Alicia. Uh, this, is JB's, this is JB's theme every show. You always end up with the, the tricky surname. That, dude, that name's not real. Um, Sh- Shayna Vorspan, Kayla Conroy, Patrick Collins. There's a name for you, Patrick Collins. I like it. Um, somehow, I did you look at how many like reviews this has? Uh, I believe it's uh, maybe under 10 reviews. Okay, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. I do want to point out, I'm looking at IMDb. It has 30 user ratings on IMDb, and it has a 3.8. Gotcha. Which seems more in line, because 83 is really high for a Rotten Tomatoes uh, review. Not Honestly, there was a part when I was watching this where I, w- I was cursing you, my friend, um, that you've, you've said yes to this movie for us. Um, but... I am a sucker for rom-coms. So there's always a little bit of space for me to fall in love with the movie. This movie is mostly trying way too hard. Um, And I will say that about its lead actress. Uh, Megan Falcone is, is playing it a little big. Um, She's a little too earnest at times. And it, it it does come off as acting. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not always a bad thing. This, this does feel like it belongs on like Hallmark or Lifetime more so than it would belong in in like a a, the, a theatrical run it feels much more like a tv movie overall I, however um i do want to give a little credit to jonathan smith this is his debut um for both writing and directing and i think there's stuff here that works uh for for starters i actually liked the husband character um played by josh covet bryce um and just uh, listeners, because you probably have not heard of this movie, um, the premise is uh, 
this bride, uh, Heather, is very, very high maintenance. And she's uptight and her friends at her bachelor party really kind of give her crap about being too uptight. And so she decides on April Fool's Day to play a prank on her soon-to-be husband, her fiancé, that they're like literally days away from being married, that she's calling off the wedding because she's no longer in love with him. So she says that to him and he doesn't realize this an April Fool's joke, is 100% on board and agrees with her that this is a mistake. What are we doing? Um, and it's a, it's a kind of funny scene. It's a bit much to be the inciting incident of the story, but it is uh, what what triggers this. So the rest of the movie is her making really weird choices that definitely feel contrived and, and no sensible human being would do the things she does. Um, but in some capacity, she is trying to become a better person and also win back Bryce um, based on his criticisms of her, like, you know, prove that it's not all there. Um it's it's not bad it's not great a lot of it again feels written it feels like a student film even to a capacity but that's not always a bad thing there's stuff here that you can build on there's stuff that you can work with um general rules of screenwriting are followed she you know you expect your protagonist to have some kind of growth by the end of the film or if they fail to have that growth that they will uh, fail in their goals that kind of payoff is there um again i like bryce uh, there's a few jokes that do not land very well. Um, the, some of the friendships there, there's almost too many characters in this movie. Like she's got a lot of friends and it's supposed to be like a wedding is coming and whatever. But like, there's so many people who have just like random scenes. Like I think the caterer is way too involved at times. <laughs> and it's like, um, it's, it's a, obviously a friend of the character, but it's like, okay, but you have five friends with that. And then, uh, one joke that, I, I, I didn't felt like it landed, but one of her friends and like bridesmaids, uh, the one whose name is made up, uh, Gigan um, there's no R in her name. Well, there is one R in her name. Uh, she She's a DA, but she's also apparently like very sexually open. And I don't know, that felt a little like a little dated as a joke, like because people seem to be a little bit judgy towards her. That's what made it a joke. And I, I think in modern wokeness, a woman being okay with her sexuality isn't supposed to be that anymore. So, like, that was a little – it felt a little old. Um, I didn't mind – all the performances were better than some other movies that I've seen like this. So I will say not not a horrible experience. Definitely not a movie I'm going to be like, yes, you should definitely watch this. But if you're, if you're a fan of, like, Hallmark rom-coms, it's better than some of those. And I've had to sit through many of those because my wife is a fan of the Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, I would say probably better performances from some in in uh, in those Hallmark movies because you get some good like um, I'm going to forget her name, but the actress who plays uh, the the girl who wants to make fetch happen in Mean Girls is a regular on the Hallmark Christmas yeah, I movies. I know what you mean the one who didn't quite make it. Yeah, she's she's good. She's a good actress, not a great actress, but she generally, her performances in those movies, not bad. I would say this is just below her, but above Candace Cameron Bure, who I think is a terrible actress, and I don't know how she keeps getting work. But um, yeah, that was my take. Uh, Matt, since you agreed to this movie, what what did you end up thinking about uh, Batshit Bride? Well, before I give my thoughts, I just want to say, because you obviously, you've, you've watched a lot of Hallmark films, uh, whether by choice or whether by uh, happenstance. Would you wife like this film, do you think? Um, I think she would get annoyed with this film, actually. Um, I think the the main character constantly makes just dumb choices and puts herself in worse situations. 
Um, and I think those always feel kind of forced and contrived. And I think, I think it would annoy my wife more, but in the end, I think she would be okay with the movie. Cause I think it ends, I think it ends pretty strong. I think it actually, that's where um, it, it, it sticks the landing in a, a way that's satisfying, but also doesn't feel unbelievable. Mm-hmm. No, it was fair enough. I thought I'd ask what the expert would probably think about it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I got an email about it and um, that always, uh, check out independent films again, not for any like malicious reason, but the amount that, the amount that we both get, it's you know untenable to do all, each and every one of them. But um, I thought give us check this one out. Um, I, I like the premise. Uh, I think I did actually I did actually enjoy the April Fool's premise just because it was something a little bit different. You know what I mean? It was it wasn't just you know husband dumps wife on the or fiance dumps fiance on leaves them at the altar and leaves a note and they've gone off with a hooker or something. There was a. I, I enjoyed that premise. It was novel to me. Uh, yeah, as a film, I, I've read it was made for under forty thousand bucks. So it is a. It is independent wow. in every way. And I thought, yeah. in terms of technically, I think I think it looked pretty good. I think it was sharp. It was clear for the most part. It sounded good. The audio is extremely good. I've had uh, independent films I've watched before where the audio is frankly horrendous. Like you know, there's a hiss in the background or. Or the, or, uh, yeah. or like the the the, uh, the framing of shots isn't good, or you can see like wires coming out of people um, people's pockets where they're hooked up, and none of that here, none of that here. It's very professionally made. It's very it's very clean. It's very cl- it's like a very clean looking film. Um, That's part of the problem, I think, with the lighting in the film is it feels um, feels more like a t- like a TV movie than it does like a professional shoot. It just it's so bright. It's like almost over. Um, my brain's not going to function, but it is like almost oversaturated. There's so much white on, on scenes and it just, it does feel more TV than it does cinematic movie, but sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Man. No, it's so good. I was happy to open the book. Um, so I thought it looked pretty decent. Certain shot choices did bother me. Uh, like uh, there'd be character characters would be out of focus in the foreground or the background at like the wrong times. I found, I thought I wasn't sure who I was meant to be focusing on at the time. Uh, and there were a few shot, few times, and I noticed that the shots themselves weren't actually fully focused. So, but the like camera issue there. But um, everyone's seen like the cast seem game. Um, Alicia, I'm going to go for it. Gian Gris, Gian Grisostomy, I'm going to go for. Uh, yeah, I believe she was a bit too OTT at times. I think she was a bit too. She almost actually came from a different film. But um, I find that rom coms, indie or you know big A-list stars have always got one kind of OTT character in it. It's whether or not you can straddle that line or not. Um, the gal pals didn't really receive a lot of development for me. And at, and at times I actually forgot no. their names. They kind of popped up oh. here and there. Um, yeah. You just reminded me of another, like there's one of the gal pals stories is so unnecessary and it's so over the top and big. It's like, I won't get into what it is, but man, yes, it, it, sort of, it sort of came out of nowhere and then it, it kind of gets say resolved, but it all comes out of the end. I was like, yeah, <laughs> where did that come from um i found it funny at times i, I you know I, there were a few jokes in there i actually thought were very decent uh the comment mm-hmm. about there was a comment about the bride basically caring all about facebook photos and i thought my god i've i could say that about a few people i've seen in my life rather than the actual day it's all about the photos and the likes so I was like that's a you know pertinent line it rings true for a lot of people i imagine as well uh, it's a rom-com rom-coms are always as predictable as anything again regardless of budget level cast rom-coms are as predictable as the sunset and sunrise. So uh, Batship Bride, it's not that it's bad, because it isn't. Do you know what I mean? It's an hour and 20 minutes long. I, I I happily sat through it. I didn't sit there and think, oh, this is bloody awful, 
or I wasn't seeing anything. I want this to be over with. Um, it just felt very surface level, you know, very by numbers at times. You kind of knew what was going to happen, even though, like JB said, some of the cho- character choices were a bit like, mm. you could still see where it was going to. Like the more, uh, the bigger it got, you knew it was going to come to a, a potentially happy ending. No spoilers, but I would have liked the ending to actually been a little bit different. I would have liked them to have gone, you know, stay followed the course of the characters where they were like during the film. I would have liked that basically. So it was kind of like a everybody's kind of happy. Like every like there's a character arc which gets yeah. developed. The, what somebody wasn't, doesn't quite want something, you know, maybe they could be happy with the fact they haven't, and they can, you know, enjoy their life. Um, I don't know. I and um, and and the other family who was part of it as well in the wedding, they would have got something out of it as well. I would have actually liked like the three prong attack. How it ended though, no issues with that whatsoever. I don't have any problem with that. Um, I, there was a good, I, I enjoyed the scene where um, Bryce's workmates are basically just, just laying into Heather in her work, but in a jovial form. Cause they all think it, that, that she thinks it's a joke and she thinks everybody's in on this April full stroke. So I enjoyed that scene uh, where they're yeah, basically it's like, yeah, I can't wait for you to get the hell out of here. Or, Thank God you're gone. I, I enjoyed that. I, I like that. And like I said, there were good jokes in it. I thought it looked clean. I thought it sounded great. And I say that because, um, I was, again, like you said, you can get, you can have issues with independent films. Star Wars was an independent film when it came out officially. It had Fox's backing, but it was an independently produced film. Um, but then you've also got films made by me on a phone. Uh, which wouldn't look anywhere yeah. near as good as this or sound anywhere near as good as this. So um, it wasn't the worst film I've ever seen. It was very passable. If you are, if you are, if you love rom-coms, you'll find, you'll find stuff to like here. Um, actually, I echo what JP says. If you are a fan of the Hallmark channel, again, that isn't a negative because God damn, there are people who love the Hallmark channel. This, you, then I think, I think you'll enjoy this. I said the casters game, the um, technically it's, technically it's higher than I've seen from a lot of other independent films. And there, there, there are mishaps. But, sure. you know, anyone listening, uh, and Jonathan, if you're listening, you know, what film doesn't have mishaps? It's not lying. What film doesn't have, even my yeah. favourite film, apart from The Exorcist, even my favourite films in the world have got moments where you think, well, that was a bit pap, and lest, lest it be for me to tell someone how to do it. But there are there are a few mishaps of things which didn't quite work. But as a debut offering, I think it's pretty solid, man. I think it's I think it's pretty solid. Uh, I think people will enjoy it, and it's got a, it breezes along. It doesn't stop. It's very, very quick, uh, yeah, quick pace. So, I hope it finds a home on like a streaming service because I think I think people would enjoy it. Um, it it definitely it doesn't look like a lot of the other like Netflix is pumping out rom coms. It's like the only place where rom coms are regular. Those look more cinematic than what you're going to get with this movie, and that is it's going to keep people from wanting to sit through it. And that's honestly, the beginning is the toughest part of this film. I think it gets the characters start to feel a little more real as the film goes on, especially the lead. I think she, by the end of the movie feels more like a real person than she starts. She feels like a caricature at first and then takes on um, somebody that you're actually like maybe a little empathetic towards, which at first I have like no empathy for her whatsoever. But but Um, is that just well acted? Yeah, well, I, exactly. I, I, I think there's good there for sure. It was better than my initial impression, and even when we got the title, because I, I do think it's a bad title. Um, it, 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 it also sounds a little critic. Like a, a guy writing a movie about a bride and calling it like Batship Bride is a little risky because it's almost like, oh yeah, brides are all crazy with these crazy women, and it's like, uh, all right, man. But I don't think that 
is what is being said in the movie, but I do think that the title is a little risky as as a result. Um, plus, again, you swear in a title, you got to censor it and all that nonsense. So, yeah, I I, you know, I agree with that. I think obviously the title is it's for fun, and but yeah, for censorship reasons and in this day and age, there may be people who think like you say, hmm. But on the whole, I I, I enjoyed it in terms of independent the independent films I've watched since doing WIWT. It's certainly one of the better ones I've seen in terms of technically how it looks, how it sounds, the premise, and its overall sort of delivery and execution is higher than a lot of the other ones I've I've seen. And um, yeah, if if it, if it came out on VOD, if it came out on a streaming channel, because uh, I do believe it's getting a release. Uh, it, well, it is already out. Sorry, it is out on VOD. Yeah. Let's check which ones that is. Uh, I haven't had that information given to me, but um, check it out. Well, by all means, you know, check it out. Support independent film. You know, there'll be something. There'll be somebody who watches this and thinks this is incredible. Support independent film if you like it. Let the creators know that. Look, I really dug this, and I, I say it as well, Jonathan. There's a lot in this which I really liked. I think it looked great. I think it sounded great. And it's a and it's for forty forty thousand dollars. It's a promising start. Um, it is on Vudu uh, for sure. Uh, you can rent it for four dollars or buy it for twelve ninety nine. Um. And it is boasting that 83% Rotten Tomatoes on Voodoo, and it, that that feels a little too high. But um, uh, maybe not, because that's the catch with, with what well, you got to remember with Rotten Tomatoes is that critics aren't saying it's bad. It doesn't mean they're saying it's a, a B, like a B quality. If we're on a grading scale, um, 83 would be a B. We're just saying that it's not a bad movie. Every critic, well, 83% of the critics who have watched this have said it's not bad. So. Yep, if it's fresh or rotten, you get one. You get one or the other. You either like it or you don't, which is quite restrictive at times. But at the same time, you can't have hundreds of metrics. So if if somebody asked me to give it an F or an R, I would give it a fresh because it's not a bad film. You know, yeah. it's not the it's not the greatest film I've ever seen. Uh, but I don't think any of these films on this list are to be fair. But if somebody asked me, it would get it would it would get a fresh from me. Yeah. Although if there was one that might qualify as a great film from the year, I think it is the one we say for last, which is what. I, I actually read, yeah, I, I take that comment back. Yes, John, over to uh, over to me for the last one. So uh, going back now, this is uh, our final film of the Big Four, Bad Education, directed by Corey Finley. And look at this cast. Hugh Jackman, Alison Janey, Geraldine Viswanathan, Alex Wolfe, Raphael Casal, Stephen Spinella, Anna Lee Ashford, and the chameleon Ray Romano. He pops up in an awful lot of films. So good, too. Uh, uh, Rain Romano, he never puts a foot wrong. Uh, Bad Education, if you haven't heard of it, it's uh, it's set in a high school and it's based around a true story of the largest theft of funds from a public school in US history. Not going to say anything more about that. That's all you need to know going in. Don't find anything else out about it. Go in blind. You should do that of any film, but go in blind. What I will say is though, the director, though, of the film, uh, Corey Finley, actually went to the the, the school at, in this film. So it all happened in front of him, apparently. So, or so I'm led to believe. So, it's a first hand experience. Um, first off, this bad education, JB mentioned it to me, he's coming out. I managed to track it down. I'm so, so grateful I did. This is such a, such a very, very good film. Bad education was so well executed. I thought the, the well, the first thing I mentioned, yeah, great cast, wonderful cast. Hugh Jackman is brilliant. Again, uh, he usually is. As the super as superintendent Tassone, he's able to do effortlessly switch from his like appealing to threatening persona so 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 easily. Alison Janey is her reliable, excellent self as his right hand woman. Uh, but for me, this is one of the films 
with great performances wherever you look. We mentioned like Ray Romano, like he's in it. He's great in it. It's Ray Romano. If, uh, Geraldine uh, Viswanathan is also wonderful. She's a young school newspaper reporter who's, who kind of begins, gets everything rolling, if you will, in the film. I thought she was really good in this. The script is great. Every character is well written. They're fleshed out. You don't get a massive amount of time spent over on overexposition, which I appreciate, actually. You know, the Corey Finley had uh, faith in his screenwriter's ability to deliver a film which you could follow, get fully engaged in without the need for someone standing by a whiteboard or a PowerPoint telling you everything that's happening. So I, I appreciated that. And the characters for the situation are presented actually as fairly ordinary people, which I liked. You may or may not decide to sympathise with them uh, for the plights and situations they get in. That's depending on which way you fall. But the characters weren't written as OTT or monstrous or at the other end of the scale, overly sympathetic. They were presented as normal people, which I thought was great. Um, I wonder how well this movie would have been received theatrically rather than the HBO release. And I don't mean critically, because uh, critically... 94% 94% Rotten Tomatoes score this has got, and a very good, very good 79 Metacritic. So critically, this film has been very well received. I absolutely agree with it. I just wonder how much money it would have made at the cinema. And I, I know money isn't the be-all and end-all of how a film is uh, should be judged upon, but we've, with such a great cast, with such a great story, and what is actually a really damn good film, it's got all the ingredients to, to be a film where people should be rushing out to see it. So maybe it being on VOD gives it a slight advantage, like some of the other films you've mentioned. In fact, all of the three other films, the fact that it's streaming may give it an advantage. Had it been theatrically released, they may have got swallowed up in in the smorgasbord plethora of choice. But, dude, bad education. I really, really thought this was a very, very good film, and I agree with the the, the critic scores on this. Hugh, Hugh Jackman is, again fantastic. I thought he was so good last year in The Front Runner, um, which I think was an underrated film from last year. Hugh Jackman, yes, you think Wolverine, but Hugh Jackman for the for pretty much, there's a few stinkers, but for the most part, he is just wonderful in all of his uh, performances. I'm, I'm re-watching The Prestige this week, mm. and I cannot wait to see him back in that again, but in everything I see him in, I'm always enlightened by it, and he's one of those actors where either I see his name on the cast list, I'm excited. I'm I'm 99.9% sure I'm going to get a great performance from Hugh and everybody else in this film is good as well. So the script is brilliant. The story is great. The acting is great. If you have, if you can get your hands on this guys for me, check it out. John, what say you? One, I want to point out that Corey Finley has only directed two films. He did this movie and thoroughbreds and wow. Mm. What a one and two. Um, like, wow. I was in my top, 11 of the, the year that came yeah, out he's he's just got uh, he's got film he understands cinema and there's no question um i am a sucker for a journalist story and as a high school teacher i often am a sucker for a good high school movie and this manages to put a high school journalist in this amazing story that is true to a degree which i won't say anything else from that because i agree with matt i knew very little going into this and halfway through I did. I didn't lose interest in the movie, but I got so interested in the story that I was on my phone, like reading ahead, and I'm like, I got to stop reading because <laughs> I was so like, what is happening? Um, as a teacher, uh, as there's so many things that draw me into this. Um, amazing performance from Hugh Jackman, just absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Allison Janney, who I'm always a fan of, is so good. Ray Romano, small role here, but 
man to me like a lot of people loved him from like everybody loves raymond i never liked that tv show it, it actually irks me more than anything but from big sick uh Pat- paddleton um this movie and then he was in something else recently um that i also really liked him in i I just I've been really into like old school Ray Romano stuff um, and I've missed a few of his other things. I know he did. I think he's in the Get Shorty TV series with um, Chris O'Dowd, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That was for like an epics. uh, I think it's epics or one of those other like streaming services. Um, And I've heard he's really good in that if I'm right. And then he's done a few other TV series that I haven't seen uh, in his uh, older age. But man, um, from Big Sick forward, I've been really on board with whatever Romano's doing. Um. This this movie, I mean, just I, I loved everything about it. Um, I was very excited to see Raphael Casal, who, uh, if you've been listening to this awesome, podcast, yeah. you've heard me rave about blind spotting. Um, it's getting him in this movie was exciting for me because that just means they're they're getting more work, and I'm all about David Diggs and Raphael Casal getting more work. Um, the downside, I think, that we're going to see with this is the uh, the Oscars announced that they are going to let movies that only stream potentially be up for Oscars. Uh, for like best picture and stuff because of the coronavirus and the theatrical runs being minimized the catch is that the movie had to have been planning to have a theatrical run mm. and i don't think this movie was it was it was immediately going straight to hbo so hugh jackman totally deserves a best actor nominee for this uh, so far i agree yeah. probably will not get one because of those rules unless the rules are adjusted again um, well, unless there was a theater, unless there actually was a theatrical release, because like you say, it had its festival release. It has to it got be at least a week in in the box office, and festivals usually are just a one show. No, I was going to say unless unless uh, you know it's going to be released, unless they had plans to release it theatrically, and then they just completely ditched it in 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 uh, in silence for the HBO uh, offer instead. So I'm not sure. Um, I would love to see uh, Allison Janney deserving of a supporting actress not here but she's got that award so i'm okay if she doesn't get none but hugh jackman uh i don't has he been nominated like he definitely wasn't nominated for um he might have been nominated for les mis or uh yeah i'm sure he was nominated for that um which i don't agree with i actually just like that movie but um i'm gonna have a look in the meantime i'm sure he has been but if i'm sure he hasn't won and this would be a performance that i would be like yes give him the award please um i this movie just checks a lot of my boxes. It's it deals with education. It deals with uh, as a teacher. It talks a lot about you know teachers not being treated fair. And there's so, there's a cool moment in a weird point in the film, like where I shouldn't be rooting for a character, but yet I am uh, because he's saying things that I agree with about education in general. And yet, like that's one of the things about this film that is really like shocking is there are characters who you should not feel any empathy for, and yet you kind of do because the way the movie paints them, but it, it definitely, it paints uh, the characters in such interesting ways. And man, there's just so many cool sequences. Um, if you can make a journalist like doing research, exciting, you've won me over. I think spotlight does a really good job with that. Uh, Dark waters from last year. He's not a journalist. He's a lawyer, but still there's like research sequences that are like, they feel like you're watching an action movie. Like mm-hmm. if, if you can do that, uh, you have a grasp of cinema cinematic elements that other people just are lacking. Cause there are action sequences that feel less exciting than some of the research sequences in these movies that nail it. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's tons of bad journalism movies, but the good ones stand out. And I think this one has an element. It's not a journalism film overall, but it's definitely there. And uh, for me, that really, really works. Um, it's also the teacher thing, and that works. I, 
I don't know what else to say without getting into like the plot, but I, I really enjoy this film. Um, it is by far the best release of May and, um, or sorry, not May, April. And, uh, it is definitely, uh, it's one that if you if you have like an option to do like a free trial of HBO, this is a movie that you should totally at least do the free trial for HBO because it's worth watching um, in that way. So that's bad education. Yeah, I, I agree. It's you know, spoiler for the end of the show. It's the best. It's the best release of the of the of April uh, for, for me, almost by a long shot for me as well. Um, Hugh Jackman was nominated for Les Mis, didn't win, but he's nominated, so he's an Academy Award nominee. And as it stands, yeah. Bad Education is only he'd only be eligible for an Emmy nomination because, according to this, there wasn't yeah there was potentially no theat- uh, apparently sorry no theatrical release plan so it it's a TV movie it's an Emmy uh, so he could be an Emmy nominated uh, Academy uh, an, an Emmy winning actor if he isn't already yeah which is which is a shame again no disrespect to the Emmys but you know this is an Oscar performance I think early on in the year you know this is May. But considering what's come out already this year, if if theatres don't open until October, November, who knows what, what's going to happen with the Oscar releases. Uh, at, this, at this rate, James Corden's going to be up for Best Supporting Actor for you know playing that troll at the rate, and I can't have this. So, um, but no, yeah, Bad <laughs> Education was... Bad Education, I think, was great. If uh, I echo what John said about how this film plays out and the way that they make you feel about characters and how... Just the journalism aspect, and I say the the way it's executed and the atmosphere and attention that they put into it, it dra- it drags you in, and you you will want to know more about it. But let the film tell you about it because it will do, and it does it intelligently. It's a really good film. It's also good to see Alex Wolf back. I think I mentioned that, but uh, for oh, after yeah. Hereditary, he's he's back. Alex Wolf, which is good. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a, an, a diverse and eclectic cast, and that's another thing I liked as well. Like um, Hugh Jackman, Alison Janney, reliable. Alex Wolfe and Raphael Casal, up and coming, been in some good films. Geraldine Vizwanafan as well, young. <coughs> Excuse me. Very good in this film as well. Ray Romano, the old veteran, popping in for his cameo to do what he does best there. So there's some great performances from a diverse cast here, and that works as well. So if you do get a chance to see this, guys, please do go and get it, because I do believe already, we're running down the big four, but this is our winner of April Film of the Month, and critically as well. By a landslide, it's the uh, the most well-received film as well. So I believe that's a thumbs up from you, JB. Oh, yeah, big time. And a thumbs up from me as well. So what we do uh, on the band as well, like I mentioned, we also talk about the other films that we saw in uh, the month just gone. So it's April, and again, it's all streaming. JB has got an awful lot, mainly due to his Tribeca uh, online fare. So uh, the first few are going to be the ones that we both saw, and then... I'm going to open the door and let JB run free. So uh, the first film I saw by myself uh, and JB hasn't seen is Love Wedding Repeat. It's an, it's another Netflix film. Uh, it's got a it's got a beautiful looking cast, a very handsome looking cast. Sam Claflin, uh, Olivia Munn, uh, Isa Gonzalez. You know, it's a it's a great looking cast. It's a sort of rom com basically. There's a film about uh, alternate versions of. Um, uh, Jack's a guy called Jack, Sam Claflin. His little sister's getting married. He wants her to have the perfect wedding day. So alternate versions of that same wedding unfold and play out, which is you know interesting premise. Um, unfortunately, not very well executed. It's not the best film I've ever seen. In fact, it's a bit messy. It's not really very good. It's uh, not very funny either. 
Yeah, so it's a messy story, not particularly very funny. Sam Claflin is, and I'm not sure you're the biggest fan. I think I don't know if you've come around on him, but I first saw him in My Cousin Rachel, I think it was, with, um, uh, I can't think of a name now, God, one from The Mummy, I can't think of a name, Rachel Vice. And I hated that film, frankly. And ever since then, Sam Claflin, just by association, has like been on my sort of like list. He's fine in this. Everyone's fine in this. I mean, I mean, it's not, this isn't like Hugh Jackman level acting, to use that, um, an April BAMP terminology. You know, it's, it is what it is. It's it's fine. I think it's great if you want to sit down with a, with a glass of wine or like a tiramisu and just chuck it on Netflix for you know, an hour and a half or so and just, uh, just enjoy something. But it's if you want to watch a film and get invested and like really get into the character and really wish for something, wish something good to happen, probably not going to in, get that from here. It's a, it's a remake of a French film called uh, Plan de Ta- Pla- Plan de Table, Plan de Devil. It's uh, and that one I a reliable informed was better than this one. But this is Dean Craig's directorial debut, uh, so hopefully he goes on to bigger and better things than this. But for a debut, great cast to get for a debut, but wasn't very good. John, have I sold it to you? Uh, not really. Um, I'm I. We had talked about maybe doing this as one of the big four, and I I just couldn't. My wife started it. And like I caught that she was watching, I was like, "Oh, I was gonna watch that," and I don't think she made it through. Um, I think she ended up turning it off. So I was like, "Okay, well, um, I'm probably okay." And I just I've made zero effort to get to it. No, but I, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it wasn't it wasn't a good film. Uh, we also saw Never Really, Sometimes Always. JP, what did you think of that one? I really love this movie. Um, it's it's not an easy movie. It's a very uh, I think subject matter wise, it's a little tough. Um, but I thought the uh, director Eliza Hitman is does a terrific job with uh, the characters and the story. Um, I don't know if she's also the writer. It doesn't look like it. But um, we have a, a introduction of an actress. Uh, Sydney Flanagan is the lead, and she's her performance is out outstanding. Um, there is a sequence that I can't say what's going on without revealing a lot of the plot, but. Um, it's it's literally the shot is just lingering on her in, a, in like a mid close up and um, she has to do so much acting so much carrying of the weight in the scene and it, it it hit me hard while I was watching it but like the next day I was thinking about the scene and I like started to cry just at how amazing she does in in conveying what she's going through and it it like hit me pretty hard again and I I was I was really kind of blown away I. I don't want to say I enjoyed going through this movie because it's not like a, a particularly happy movie, but I just, the storytelling, the character, uh, just all the choices that are being made. I just thought it was such a terrific film um, that I almost, I didn't even uh, know. And even more, um, the title of the film, never rarely, sometimes always is when that's revealed mm-hmm. is also in that sequence. What, why this name? And um, man, it's, it's, it's just a really excellent movie uh, that a lot of people probably haven't heard of. It is produced by Barry Jenkins, and I want to throw that out there. Um, and uh, I'm a big fan of Sean Baker. Um, you know, like he does, uh, yeah, he the directed Florida Project. Project and Tangerine. Um, but I also, I love his Letterbox reviews. Um, if you're not following him on Letterbox, I recommend it. But uh, he he doesn't really ever, he never like seems to criticize a film It's more like he tells us where he watched it why he watched it but this one he felt the need like he wanted to um support eliza hitman 
Uh, so he went and saw it in theaters, but taking precautions. So he saw it before total lockdown happened. And then um, she is truly indie and seemingly dedicated to social political criticism rather than mainstream appeal. And I, I think that is a, such an accurate statement of what this movie is. And if it works for you, um, I think it's you're going to love it. And I also think it will rub some people the wrong way so hard uh, that you will hate it. So know that going in, um, it, it is going to deal with some controversial topics that you may or may not agree. And that may affect your opinion of the film. So how did you feel about it, Matt? Um, I fully endorse that final statement for, you know, for better or worse, positive or negative. There will be people who will see this in a different light because of, but their own belief. And again, you know, horses for courses, that's each to their own. Man, this is, up, up top, what a great piece of film this is. What a, it's genuine and genuinely powerful. Um, it's, and it's those kind of words that make this. It was such an intoxicating film to watch, uh, a complete opposite to the film we just mentioned, Love, Wed and Repeat. This is not a film you want to watch if you want to watch something breezy to get your mind, you know, to give yourself a boost in these times. But don't let that take away from the quality of the film. Eliza Hitman does a magnificently good job, a sterling job of this. Um, in, you know, a film with a very, very emotive central topic, um, I'm not going to say what it is. You could go just just check it out. As is the title, very emotive, central topic. Something which I cannot relate with. If, if you know what I mean, I can't sit and be like, oh, I know what that's like. Um, but damn, does Eliza Hitman get the point across? Uh, Sydney Flanagan, who plays Autumn in this, is like you said, John, is just like this is breakthrough. This is fantastic. Yeah, acting insane. Yeah, it's not reading reading the script and forcing a performance this is goddamn acting this is like to the point where you think you know is this like this is very real acting um it's a very harsh and bleak film it's that's how it's shot as well it's very it's shot in a very harsh and bleak manner and that's meant as a positive the way this movie is shot i found was stunning the cinematography matches autumn's internal struggles her internal fight so perfectly it was you know it was a match made in heaven what you saw on screen with the acting, with the way it was shot and framed, it was just like everything comes together in this like beautiful melting pot of a film, which is yeah, a tough watch. Let's not get past that. Technically, this film is magnificent. I really, really think this film is something else. And I'm with you as well. I watched this film and the, and the next day and the day after, you remember it, it stays with you. And if a film can do that, whether you like the film or not, it's what it works. It's had an effect, and this film has had an effect on me. Just again, just because of the way it's presented. Just like I, 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 I go back to think about shots in the film, scenes like performances, and of course, yeah, like the scene you mentioned, which relates to the title and that. There's just uh, you, get, you get a film like this which comes along, which probably never gets the credit it, it deserves. But honestly, guys, it's. It's a film which you can't. You probably should prepare yourself for it. But if you can watch it, set the time aside and and please do. And as JB said, you know, it may not be for you. It may rub you up the wrong way. The subject may not be something which you agree with. But certainly, give this a go. But I also think that that's one of the beauties of art. Is art should at times uh, challenge your your beliefs and and it should be if provoking. they are. Right. And if they are truly your beliefs, you're not going to be 
changed, but maybe reaffirmed in your beliefs it, or maybe you will find that maybe you've not looked at it from this perspective before. Like, I, I don't think that should be a reason to not watch it. It may be why you don't like it. Um, and that, but, and that's okay. Uh, but I do think, um, this film is considered to be one of the theater at home movies. It was supposed to get a theatrical run. It would have been a very limited release. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is a, good about the theater at home thing we have going right now is movies like this i wouldn't have probably been able to see it if it was only in theaters because i would have had to drive probably like two hours in order to do that um if that you know so or i would have had to go like at a weird time and it's like this weekend only at this one theater that's in the corner of this place that you know i love but i don't want to drive two hours through horrible traffic to see a movie that i may or may not like i yeah. would knowing this now i totally would have driven to watch this oh, but sure. i don't know that at the time you know like but now that i've seen it uh, yeah i would totally w wish i could have saw this in the theater but i agree with um, you thought on art as well sorry just to jump in there but i mean sure. there are things like horror films or dramas or thrillers which for example may be centered um I might, I might, if you could see me now my hands are going all over the place i'm getting into this but they're centered on like religion like even like you know the exorcist for christ's sake is centered on that religious aspect of it i am not a religious person but i still get absolutely engaged in this film it doesn't the fact that i don't believe neither here or there or in this maybe or in the subject of that doesn't mean i don't get involved doesn't mean i can't get into the film and right. it's that as well and not just religion there are other um discussion points or talking points or emotive subjects which there are there's a film for all of it, but whether you're whether it's your belief or not or your opinion, you know, a film to me a film is a good film either way. Even if they're not setting up to change your mind on something necessarily, like you say, it shouldn't prohibit you from at least saying, do you know what? As a film, that was a wonderfully crafted movie. Whether or not you come going to come out and say, but I still think how I do, you know, I don't I don't come out of certain films hating Christ or the devil or whatever it might be. I just enjoy the film and if it sucks me and then it's done its job right um and just listeners uh we don't usually go into this much detail for this part but this mm -hmm. movie is like honestly probably should have been in our our big four we just know it's not really a big four um neither is batshit bride to be fair but um this movie is is so exceptional and again it is one that is challenging but that's one of the things that makes it exceptional so if you if you're up for the challenge rent never rarely sometimes always um it is available on all streaming services uh pay streaming fully services. agree yeah f fully agree um and i think the only thing that puts bad education above it is that rewatchability yeah. effect i guess maybe but right. uh honestly incredible film and the final film we both saw was uh the main event and again jb the main event yeah, I picked this one. Uh, it almost made it to our big four because I have a long-term running relationship with WWE. I've been a wrestling fan since I was a little kid. Currently, I'm kind of not. I, I've done that throughout my life where I like roller coaster with it. Like in mid-80s, huge, huge fan. Early 90s, I dropped off. Attitude Era, I was all in 100%. All over that. Um, and then dropped off when John Cena became a thing initially. Uh, I was just like, why is Mark Wahlberg wrestling? Um, and then... Can't uh, see it. And then I got back into it like like late 2000s, early 2010s. And then I've been off of it for about three years. And I, I come and go. Like I'll catch some of the pay-per-views. Um, I, I was going to watch the uh, the WrestleMania that happened during COVID where there was no audience, like two, which would be the weirdest shows, thing. Or something. There were two nights. They did two yeah. nights of it, which is just like, but it's 
there's no audience. What's happening? Like it, I've I've seen clips. It is really weird to watch I've wrestling with no audience. It doesn't quite work uh, without the audience. But um, this is a, uh, a a wish fulfillment movie. Um, kid is a, a fan of wrestling. He he discovers a magical luchador mask that when he puts it on, he gets abilities. We've seen stories like this dozens and dozens of times. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those movies that do this are much better. This one is is not bad. Um, I will say m- the highlight is uh, Tashina Arnold, who plays his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might recognize her from Martin if you watch that TV series. And she's been in a bunch of stuff. She's in uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco recently. Um, I didn't realize she was in Little Shop of Horrors, but um, I love her anyways. And she's so great in this. There's some really, really funny scenes with her. I'm a big Adam Polly fan. And he is so wasted in this movie. Um, it feels like they give him almost nothing to do. And that's disappointing because I, I always find him to be really, really funny and a little bit charming. And he's not not those things. He just is just there in a lot of sequences. Um, even his like the characters just feel so un, undescript of what's going on. There's this whole family drama dy- dynamic that doesn't need to be there. And that's one of the things that I, I don't think really ever pays off. It, it's the, it They tell you things, but it doesn't really add anything to the film. Um, and that's true of a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff happening in this movie, but a lot of it is happening for no real reason. It's just there. And you just want to watch the wrestling stuff. Um, if you're a fan of like NXT, that's where a lot of this is actually set. So you see a lot of NXT wrestlers that I was not familiar with because I've not been keeping up with the, who these new people are. But doing research, a lot of the wrestlers are actual wrestlers for WWE. Um, and then there were some that I did recognize. Miz is uh, prominently displayed in it. Um, Ken Marino shows up. He's always kind of the same typecast jerk guy. Uh, I, I I like him enough. Um, it's it's not a bad movie. It's just not a great movie. It, it's it's definitely if you're a kid and you like wrestling, I think you're gonna love this movie because it's it's that. Um, I think if I were like young and watching this, I probably would have had a much better time. But for me, it kind of reminded me of like Rookie of the Year. And Rookie of the Year, I still think is a really fun movie. Like I can watch that right now and will enjoy it. I, I don't think I want to watch Main Event again. I'm I'm good, you know. Yeah, Rookie of the Year was, was, was much better. I think as well, uh, even, uh, even though it's about sport, I don't mean follow baseball. Uh, I used to follow uh, WWE a lot, especially the Attitude Era, man. Everyone, everyone loved the Attitude Era, man. Yeah, I don't know, any, uh, everyone my age was used to go into, come into school on a, on a Monday and talk about what's, you know, what Stone Cold and The Rock were up to and Vinnie Mac and all that. Vince McMahon, good times. Um, this film I thought was awful. <laughs> I thought it was bloody awful. Um, I, I really wanted to enjoy this film because the... The premise is great, you know. Kid finds a mask and gives him like wrestling powers, basically. But mm-hmm. I just thought the overall execution yeah. was so bad. Um, there is obviously the the argument and the the very famous um, video of you know it's still real to me, damn it, whether or not you believe it's real or not. This film makes no effort to me to prove it's real, even though it's a WWE um, like a marketing for WWE. It. Even even the fights don't look very real, and I get that. Obviously, our kid fighting big men is won't look real, but it looks bad. I don't think it was. I don't think the fights were particularly well done. Uh, I thought the, I didn't yeah. like the dialogue. Um, the film, as again, little kids will probably love this or very or enjoy it just because you know, like you say, it's wishful film. How many kids would be like, yeah, I wish I could be in that ring with these guys, with the crowd, with the lights, the music, right. and I, well, I wish I was. I used to make uh, wrestling belts out of cardboard boxes, you know, cut it out and. I'd be the champion. Um, but then we had something like fighting with my family last year, which took a family drama about wrestling and was yeah. fantastic. And fighting with my family kind of um, took the approach that 
you know, wrestling, whilst it was huge in in that part of the world in Norwich and following my family, it wasn't. It was kind of seen as like an anomaly. It's like a kind of backdoor thing where, you know, it's big in the States, and but, you know, people don't really talk about it or didn't want to talk about it because of the um, taboo around it, blah, 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 being a real sport, quote, unquote. It's very good entertainment. Um, but so that worked because they kind of acknowledge the fact that, okay, this was, you know, wrestling is not for everyone, whereas this film... It's everywhere. It's literally like if everybody loves wrestling. Every person is everybody loves wrestling. It's what they ever talk about. And um so that yeah. was a bit jarring. But again, it's you know, like I say, it's it's wish fulfillment. It's you know, WWE are, you know, in these this film exists to promote other wrestlers who may not be John Cena level and it's not quite as good as Rookie of the Year or or something like that, or something like like Mike. But it's fine. You know, it was great for kids, but I generally I thought it was bloody awful. So if anyone asks me, I'd say avoid it like the plague. If, uh, wrestling fans may like it. I don't know if, if a hardcore wrestling fan will like it, but uh, I didn't particularly find much to enjoy in it. JB JB's a lot nicer than I am on this one. Yeah, and uh, you know, that's, uh, that's okay. Um, for the rest of these, I think I'm just going to kind of power through uh, whether or not I recommend. There's a couple I do want to linger on, yeah. um, and I'm going to start uh, with uh, I'm gonna just knock out the four Tribeca movies real fast. Four Tribeca, I've watched Asia, Through the Night, Twelve Hour Shift, and Hydration. Through the Night and Hydration are documentaries. Um, Hydration's interesting. It is kind of oddly the counter to the Fire Festival documentaries because the Fire Festival documentaries was that one guy in Ja Rule who said they were throwing a big festival and it was all a lie and how it like turned into scandal. Uh, Hydration is Pharrell Williams doing a festival in West Virginia. I think it's West Virginia um, or Virginia beach, which I think is still in West Virginia. And uh, that's his hometown. And he's going to be through this big hip hop concert. And there's all this like kind of setup of there's going to be controversy. There's, you know, some race rioting type things happening and then really nothing goes wrong. It's very easy. Everything is smooth and breezy. So it's like complete opposite of what happens with the fire festival. Uh, not a bad watch. Just not a great watch. I, I just, to me, it felt like there was a lot missing. Um, and then uh, Asia, oh, uh, Through the Night, though, great documentary. Really, really enjoyed it about um, 24-hour daycare in New York, one specific daycare and why it's a 24-hour daycare. And you really get to see, like, kind of the class struggle that happens with, you know, people working multiple jobs and trying to raise their kids but, you know, needing uh, mm-hmm. child services, like, to take care of their kids when they're at work. And it's, it was really compelling. Uh, great central character um, uh, who runs the daycare. She just becomes such a likable uh, figure that it, it feels like you're watching a narrative and it's great. Um, 12 hour shift, dark comedy, really interesting. Asia, a foreign film uh, deals with a very tough uh, mother daughter relationship. Uh, both very good though. I enjoyed both of those films. Um, then I'm going to bounce around a bit. Uh, so one, I'm looking at this list of films I saw Matt, and I'm the road's not taken. Could not remember for the life of me, what movie that was. <laughs> I'm like, I, I saw it. What is it? And then I, then I looked, pulled it up. And I'm like, oh, Matt, you need to watch this movie. So I don't know if you've heard about this. It's Javier uh, Bardem and Elle Fanning. Yes, I've heard of, know nothing about. Um, it's directed by Sally Potter. Uh, Bardem is playing a uh, of her, her father who has dementia, mm-hmm. and or at least they don't they don't say outright dementia, but it's definitely dementia, Alzheimer's, something like that. Um, but uh, it's a really interesting film. Um, the way I interpreted it, I really liked it. There's some very, very negative reviews out there. Um, 
I don't think it's a must-see film necessarily, but I do think it's a really interesting film. You get two really great performances, though, from Javier Bardem and Elle Fanning. Um, Laura Linney shows up in a small part. She's, I don't know, I feel like they, she's a little bit over the top. And Selma Hayek is uh, in it. She's fine. Um, she's not in it. She's not in it a lot. I'm not criticizing her. It's just she's not a major part. It's really Bardem and Fanning. It's a it's a tough movie at times, but it, I found it to be really, really watchable and um contemplative i was very much thinking about things um i watched the uh aj kappa film i still believe with my wife because she is a real big fan of christian music and loves jeremy camp um so she was all about this movie i didn't really enjoy this um i found it to be uh you know it's like it it has that the stigma it's just everything's going to be okay kind of movie um the characters feel more like caricatures they don't feel like real people and that's crazy because it's a true story and that shouldn't be like a true story should feel like real people and it just didn't um but yeah i i didn't love it um but you know my again my wife loved it who's more that's definitely her she's their target audience so if if you're into those type of movies i think you'll love it um okay so i checked out this horror film called the wretched uh, by coincidence, um, Corey, who I do the movie club podcast with, she wanted to watch this. So we, uh, we split it and, um, she ended up hating it, Good but I Corey. really liked it. Uh, I, I, um, she, she was not into it. I found it. Uh, I actually, the, what worked for me, um, horror movies are so up and down for me, but, uh, I, if I get attached to characters and I care about them making it through, I tend to like the movie and that's what this really did for me. I really got into the characters. I thought the main character uh, played by John Paul Howard, who I'm not familiar with. Um, I've not seen him in, actually I have seen him in things, but uh, I don't think he was the main character. He's in space between us, which is bad. Um, and he's not the main character and he's in hell or high water, which was great. But I mean, he must've had like a very short scene. Cause there's like, I can only think of like three kids in that movie and they're not in it very much. So um, I really, like this though it's not it's not amazing it's not it's not like hereditary or get Mm -hmm. out gonna like change the game of horror um but it it is a solid horror film um i i was definitely not as scared as some people might be but i was really intrigued with the lore of the of the character or the monster in the film um the the creature design and like the effects are actually really strong and um there's a twist in this movie that i thought came out of nowhere and i was really like oh man that's nice. cool like i had no idea and i was like wow i really like that a lot. so i i ended up really like i'm surprised about the flip because i'm i know you're not i know you don't you don't actively not watch horror films but i know that it's not your yeah. go-to genre per se if I, but so to hear to hear the uh the coin was flipped and it's uh and it's Corey who wasn't a fan and you are yeah that gives me hope, not because I don't trust in Corey, because I very much do. And she, I, Corey, if you're listening, please keep sending me Exorcist memes. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> but I, I expected Corey to potentially like this film and JB to kind of think, oh, it's, it's fine. Yeah, and uh, Big Tuna, also uh, big on this film. Um, I think really? he gave it four stars on Letterboxd. Yeah, we both, uh, I texted him during this. I'm like, have you seen this? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I think I like this. He's like, right? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yes. Big Tuna is always to, usually contrarian in the nicest way possible. But we're big, I'm a big fan of that man. Um, so if he likes it too, so JB and Big Tuna, I mean, I'm watching it tomorrow, in fact, now. Oh, awesome. I, I, yeah, I, I was actually, um, I, I didn't even know this movie was a thing. So I, because I, uh, it was supposed to get a release. Um, 
it says 2019, but I think it was supposed to get a theatrical release like recently. Yeah, I've seen um, posts about it online, and that's what yeah. I thought. Well, I'll get, I'll check it out. So it probably debuted at a festival or something last year, like a small festival somewhere or whatever. But I, I, I enjoyed it. So yeah, definitely, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts, Matt. Um, I checked out Emma, not Emma with a period at the end. Uh, the remake of um, what is that, Jane Eyre? Uh, Jane Austen, or is it Emma? Jane, uh, Jane Austen. There you go. It's obviously Emma, not a different name. Um, sorry. That's how versed I am. But this is Emma E.M.A. from 2019, uh, the newest Pablo Lorraine film starring uh, Mariana Di Girolamo, who is excellent, and then Gail Garcia Bernal, who I am always a fan of. Love that guy. Um, he is so good in this movie. It is a another tough, weird movie. Um, it deals a lot with reggaeton, uh, which I know very little about, apparently, because there's much more to it in this movie. Um, it, it's... It's a it's man the story's so crazy but it, it's it's definitely interesting and it's worth watching visually it's stunning there's some amazing visuals in this movie um, that are I was really really like wow that's breathtakingly gorgeous but um, it, it's it's a good film weird to to say the least I had not seen any other Pablo Lorraine films I missed Jackie and I didn't see um, what did he do uh, one of the man I always forget his freaking name. Jackie, Jackie was good. I, I enjoyed Jackie. I've heard good things about Jackie, and he did. He directed Naruto, which I heard good things about, but mm, I, I did not see either one of those. Um, but so now I'll power through the rest of these. Um, uh, the Quarry, uh, Michael Shannon's in it, so it's good for that reason. Big fan of Michael Shannon. It's a weird movie. Um, it goes places that I didn't expect, and the ending, I feel like it wanted me to interpret something that I didn't quite grasp, so I was I felt like it was either misfiring or i'm just not smart enough to get everything that's being said uh tr- true history of the kelly gang which um you had seen as well but you didn't watch this month uh, yeah. um i really like the movie um quite a bit uh i am a big fan of the the lead actor now he's in 1917 and his name is not going to come to uh, george um, mckay that's it i think he is uh doing completely different work in this movie than he does in 1917 showing his range and man is it good and then um think this is the last one yes uh endings beginnings shailene woodley who i am a big fan of at this point um i've i've come around on her i used to think she was overrated um or actually maybe not even overrated maybe just not worth my rating um i've come around and i tend to like her i don't like this movie very much um it is the same director um who did a movie that i also didn't like um Oh, he did uh, the uh, like crazy with Anton Yelchin and um, and Felicity Jones. I never saw um, that. Yeah, it's not great. Um, it, it it's more. It's not even that it's bad. That's the thing. This movie's not bad either. He's really good at making movies where I don't like the characters, and then <laughs> afterwards I start thinking about it and going, maybe maybe I didn't give them a fair shot. Like he, his movies don't go away, and I think that's. Though. Yeah, it, but I don't necessarily like them, and that's the catch with both Light Crazy and this. I don't think they're bad movies. I just really didn't enjoy watching either one of them. Like, uh, and Jamie Dornan, Dornan is in this, and not good. I don't think he's a good actor. Um, I, uh, Sebastian Stan is in it too, though, and I do like him a lot. I don't really like him in this movie. I don't think it's the performance. I just, the, again, I don't like a lot of the characters in this film. Um, uh, Drake Deramos is the director, um, and yeah, I, I don't think it's for me um, in general. Again, 
the more I talk about his movies, the more I actually think they're they're better than when I'm watching them. Like when Corey and I did the Like Crazy episode, we both didn't like it, and as we were talking about it, we we're like, "Wow, this is better than we we feel," which is still saying something because we we were able to to like you know take something from it, but at the same time, just not enjoy the experience of watching it. So that's that. I think that's the episode, Matt. Uh, yeah, I think it is. So as we do, we kind of have a quick, quick recap then on on the month just gone. So, but but before we give our actual like verdict on the on the month, I guess actually this kind of plays into it. This was pretty much like the month of streaming. Everything was streaming or independent VOD was meant to get theatrical. This wasn't. It's clear to say that a lot of these films we've watched and haven't been enamoured by it. To be honest, now, mm-hmm. do you think that is now clear that? theatrical releases are so important. Are the films we see at the cinema, we need to have that theatrical experience because we could have watched A Quiet Place 2 and all the other films coming out supposedly were supposed to come out this month and still been like, well, that was bloody awful. But um, I, uh, as we were talking about it, it kind of hit me. I was like, I don't think we've ever been this kind of like down on an entire list of films in the history of the two year history of the BAMP. And I'm starting I, I, to me, it's it, the reason is because of that. These are streaming films, not because streaming films can't be good, but there's a reason why they are streaming. If that makes any I, sense. Maybe I, I don't necessarily think it's the streaming scenario. I do think it is because the big movies were pushed back rather than released. Um, like we saw trolls get released and there were a few other movies, uh, right before that uh, for March, like the hunt was released digitally. Bloodshot was released digitally, but those were not big movies in that way. And I think the only reason they did the hunt, because the hunt was a little bit bigger, but they'd already delayed the hunt because of the controversy. So I think they were like, we just have to get this out. It's ridiculous at this point. You know, we got to let it go. But like, we didn't get black widow, which could have been released this month, but they want the theatrical release. Um, we're, we're not going to get wonder woman 1984 or whatever they're calling it. Um, we're not going to get that when we were supposed to, it's going to be delayed. And that's the issue is that they aren't willing to lose the box office dollars and risk the straight to digital yet. And it, depending on how long this is going to go, I think we'll start seeing some of those movies maybe creep back in um, because they need, they need finance and people are at home. We'll watch the movies if you give them to us, yeah. but you got to give them to us. And um you're going to see some that are willing to give that give up their uh, their their right. Like we're going to see the Lovebirds this month in May, um, which was supposed to get a big theatrical. It was supposed to get a South by Southwest uh, debut. It was supposed to get a big theatrical run. It was supposed to be a big break for Kamel and um, Issa Rae. And instead, it's getting a Netflix release, which is great. I'm excited. I can't wait to watch it. I'm a huge Kamel Nanjani fan. I I am. I literally. I'm like probably one of his biggest fans. I I definitely. Uh, you know. I I'm. A, I like Stuber, if that gives an idea of how much I like Kamel Johnny. He really loves um, that guy. I do. And uh, that's, I'm excited. I can't wait to watch Lovers. I was really pumped no, to see it because I am a big fan of him. Um, his comedy just works for me. So, you know, I think we're going to start seeing more of that as the, the, the lockdown stays in and theaters stay closed. I think we'll see bigger movies getting these streaming things and maybe the BAMP will start to feel like it has in the past. Mm-hmm. I do think, and to be fair, I think we we both kind of raved about a movie that we didn't put in the main four because of its indie nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, that 
was was available for everyone this month that was much better than extraction um but not going to appeal to mainstream audiences like extraction you know uh and that's the catch is theatrical releases that we cover normally are mainstream fair and i don't know man the month with uh godzilla king of monsters last year i think might have been pretty down um i think we were because we were both really pumped for that movie and then both we were both disappointed right <laughs> like um we crapped on most things that month to be fair yeah, um so yeah i i I wonder is that is that question that's the age old question if we if films start to trickle out which I think I I I tend to agree with you I do think we're going to see some not Black Widow or Wonder Woman eighty four level but I think we're going to see some trickle out onto VOD does that now set a precedent where you know they with the studios and the streaming working hand in hand not doing a twelve world tour and you know rubbing people out the wrong way. Could we see this happening in the future? I know it's very early days, but could we see a scenario where certain films get released on VOD and theatrically yeah. at the same time? A hundred percent. I mean, I think we've been heading in that direction anyways, and I think this is just going to kickstart it. And to be fair, you you mentioned the troll the trolls world tour Universal AMC controversy. Uh, I think twice mm-hmm. now that AMC played that so wrong, in my opinion, because it, it's like what does universal have to lose because right now you're not even open like you're acting like well you can't play with our house anymore it's like yeah i can't come to your house anyways you stupid jerk (laughs) like i'm gonna keep i'm gonna make money where i can make money and like you have nothing to lose and all it will take is for every studio to boycott amc for that to ruin amc like universal's still making money even if amc boycotts it if the if the studios stop letting AMC show their movies in like like solidarity, like no, we want to be able to do what we want with our movies, AMC's gonna go bankrupt. Like so I think they misplayed Four, this. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, exactly. I think they totally misplayed this. Um I can see their point. I can see the point that, you know, sure. this is the way it's always been and the due diligence of the notice wasn't given. You just kind of came out and said, Oh, by the way, this film's gonna go on go on VOD. That's just to let you know. So they didn't follow that procedure, but we are living, unfortunately, at the minute in like strange times. Yeah, but the reality is, theater going has minimized anyway. So the the realistic, the people who are going to the theater, we're going to go to the theater whether it's on VOD or not, because you and I and people like us, we like going to the theater. Yes. People who don't like going to theater or don't want to spend the money are already waiting for home video. That's why Blockbuster was a thing for so long. That's why Redbox was a thing. Why Netflix mail delivery? Because people will wait to see a movie when it's cheap. Like if you're not already going to the theater, you you're not the people that are renting it at like we rented Trolls World Tour because we we have a commitment to doing this podcast. And we want to see the movies. But if this was theatrical, one, we both said we may not have actually saw it in the theater. But (laughs) two, we would have gone to the theater even if it was VOD because I like to go watch a movie in the theater. I like the big screen. Do I think all movies need to be seen on a big screen? No. I think there are definitely some. I think some filmmakers make movies to be on the big screen. Christopher Nolan, a great example. Um, But I think others, yeah, small screen. Like never rarely, sometimes always. I think would be great on the big screen, but I don't think you need to see it on a big screen. I think it's a small movie and it feels personal and intimate. And so watching it on a screen, I think is fine any size, but extraction. I do think that would have been a better experience on the big screen to be real. Like, cause it is an action movie. And so the bigger, the screen, the bigger, the explosions, right? Like that's Michael Bay's philosophy. Not that he had anything to do with that movie, but it's definitely influenced by him. Um, you know, 
I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, I, I'm afraid because I don't want theaters to close because I do like to go to the theater. Um, but I don't think AMC has a leg to stand on. I think you're going to see at some point we're going to have both. And I, I hope that we have both. I hope it's not just streaming. I hope we get to have both uh, same day theatrical, same day streaming, um, especially for movies like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, where like, and a lot of the indie studios do get to do that because of the, the, the big studios aren't concerned with it as much because it's not going to affect their box office. But that's a great example of one where my local theaters wouldn't have got that movie anyway. So I would have had to watch it streaming. And so I like the idea of it being same day or at least close to same day. Yeah. I, I, I could see a situation in the future where we do get that, how much it will be or when, when it will be or how long it will take. I don't know, but I honestly think with, it's just, it's just a world we're living in. Things move on. I never ever want the theatrical experience to die. And I don't ever actually believe it will do. Certainly not in my lifetime. I don't think, but it's, we're getting to a point now where we've got, you know, video on demand. People people have now got the tech capabilities to watch these films at home. You know, most people have got a decent sized TV and some people have got a great sound system, which can kind of not, they will never replicate, but it's, you know, it can help. So the, you know, the it's all there for them to do it. Uh, and I'm surprised that they picked that certain studios or haven't, like the bigger or smaller ones, haven't tried to utilize it better but maybe it's taken something as awful as this pandemic to, you know, kind of almost be like a testing ground. Uh, VO, uh, Trolls World Tour, I don't think it's ever going to break the box office. Did it do better, VOD? I don't know, maybe. more. We, we, me and you saw it, so they got two extra sets of eyes on it, for sure. Something like, yeah, never really, sometimes, always. I don't even know that would... In London, it would have been shown at the Art House Theatres. I don't know about where I live. Maybe wouldn't have seen it, it when it's when it's streaming. Great, that's a few extra pairs of eyes on it. We're on the show singing its praises now. If any, if even one person from who listens to this goes to watch it, you know, great. That's another set of eyes on it. So um, I think it will happen as well. The capabilities there, the technologies there. So uh, I agree, though. Uh, like The Rise of Skywalker, whatever we thought about the film, I'm going to watch that at the theatre. Like Wonder Woman 84, I'm going to see that at the theatre. Tenet, theatre. What? I don't care if they said, you know, you could watch it at home for 20 quid. So, no, 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 no. I'll drive three hours to the cinema to watch a film like that um, if I have to. So mm. uh, I just, it was an interesting question, which I think we could do a whole show on. And I think one day I think we should. Um, just that. Probably. Because obviously the, dark, the the films we saw this month. But so, JB, the month of April was a closing shot now. What did you think of it as a kind of like overall? Um, much like the real life month, the movie month was... Uh... A nightmare and i'm ready to move on to the next month and hope it's a little better i i'm not going to add anything to that i, I agree there i will say there was some the high moments of april were magnificent but the low moments were uh Catastrophic. yeah not great yes yeah, so next month's already looking a little bit but better potentially so that was our april edition of the bloody awesome movie podcast i hope you uh enjoyed what we had to say and if you do or don't agree let us know we'll give you the link shortly but first and foremost, John, where can the world find you online? You can find me at BerkReviews.com and on uh, all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at BerkReviews. And Matt, where are you? Uh, uh What I Watch Tonight, Twitter, Instagram, and on Letterboxd, W-I-W-T, or just search for What I Watch Tonight and you'll see my face. If you want to find the about the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast on Instagram, John's got the details. It's Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. 
and on Twitter it's BAMP, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. So let us know what you thought of the show, what you thought of the films, or if we missed any, or maybe recommend some for next month as well. If you did like the show if you, and you've got a spare 30 seconds, do please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It helps the show grow. It gets more people listening, more people, more engagement, better better debate around film, which is what we're all here for. But uh, on that note, for me, for the April edition, it's see ya and keep it bloody awesome. And from John, keep watching movies. Blood, 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 blood.